Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Phil Drysdale Show. It is always such an honor and privilege to have you with me for these episodes. Um, as usual, on Thursdays, we have an expert or a regular person like you and me that's going through or has been through deconstruction. And this week, we have a real treat. We've got Dr. Tina Shermer-Sellers, who is a sex therapist and family therapist and is just a genius in both those worlds. Um, and so we're going to have a great conversation. I really enjoyed the conversation that um, I had with Tina. I'm so excited to share it with you. Um, before we start, I just want to remind you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a completely free resource that will help you connect with people in your local area. If you have gone through deconstruction, it is really likely that you've lost a few friends and family members in the process. It's it's just a part of growing up. It's a part of changing. It's a part of um, holding on to uh, radically new uh, values and beliefs about the world. Um, is that some people can't grow up with you. Some people can't uh, continue to do relationship very healthily with you and boundaries need to be made and some people just cut off ties and all sorts of things like that happen. And that's where communities like the one we have on Instagram, like the different communities that are available on Facebook and, and things like that, they really come in and, and come into their own because it helps us feel a little bit less alone. It helps us connect with people that are going through this. And, and the thing is, you know, sometimes we have friends outside of the church bubble, maybe we, in, from work or school or something like that. Um, but often they have no idea what it's like to have gone through this journey. They, they don't know what it's like to come out of uh, living in this Christian bubble for so long. Um, and our Christian friends definitely don't know what it's like. And they're desperately trying to claw us back into that Christian bubble. Um, and so to be able to connect with people that have been through this, that are going through this, can be such a big change. But the truth is that these online communities, as amazing as they are, um, they only go so far. There's nothing quite like being able to look someone in the eyes, in the flesh, you know, to cry together, to laugh together, to hug, to have a meal together, to go for a pint together, whatever it looks like. Um, there's something about uh, a real personal connection that after, you know, the last year and a bit of COVID, we all know it makes a big difference having those impersonal uh, impersonal, in-person relationships. Um, and so the deconstructionnetwork.com is a completely free resource that helps you connect with people locally that are going through this process as well. Um, and so I'd really encourage you to check that out. Um, it's, it's just such a, a lifeline for so many people and it, it can be such a game changer to find someone locally that you can kind of connect with on that level. Um, yeah, so check it out, thedeconstructionnetwork.com. If you want to support what I'm doing, all my resources are absolutely free. I'm always here to talk to you uh, regardless. Um, but uh, being able to do that is because um, people support me. Um, there are some people that are, become patrons and give a few bucks a month, and that helps me do all of this for free. And so if you want to do that, you can check out patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. As a thank you, you get access to a private online community where we chat throughout the week. And um, we also do regular video chats and, and audio chats and stuff like that as well. Um, so do check that out if you'd like. Um, all right, that's enough rambling from me. Let's dive into the conversation with Dr. Tina Shermer-Sellers. Let's get cracking. Let's, 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 okay. um, let's dive in. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience, let them know a bit about who you are and, and, and what you do, and, and we'll see where we go. Okay. So um, I, I am Dr. Tina Schirmer-Sellers. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm a certified sex therapist and certified sex therapy supervisor. 
Um, I taught as a professor for 30 years in marriage and family therapy and in sexuality and in medicine, taught physicians and whatnot. Um, left that a couple years ago to run an institute called the Northwest Institute on Intimacy that provides postgraduate education to therapists, clergy, doctors, educators around sexual health. What is sexual health? What do we need to know about it? What do we need to know about treating it or referring? And then what are our sexual biases that we have inside of us that might be informing what we're doing, but we don't even really know. So, um, so that's what our institute primarily does. And um, because people don't get in the States, um, doctors, teachers, therapists, whatnot, clergy, clergy for sure, they don't get any sexual health information or mm. very, very little, like one class or something that's really wow. about sexual health. Um, and so it means that when people go see those practitioners, they're often not getting accurate information or they're getting overlooked or told it's in their head or whatever. And so it, it's just became really important to me to try to what I think of as raising the bar in those fields, um, because I think of people as biopsychosocial, spiritual, sexual beings, and you can't mm. take those things apart in people. So when you're listening, you've got to be able to hold them all too. And then I, um, I'm an author. I wrote the book, Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy, and it was published in 2017. And it's got a a very strong global response um, because it looks at how did the Christian church do sexuality and looks at how it's been sex negative for all of its history and then says, well, anywhere on the Abrahamic line, has it been positive anywhere? And it had been all mm -hmm. over Jewish writing. <clears throat> so I brought those stories forward so people could see you've got a God that loves you relentlessly, you know, mm -hmm. or at least if they need to see it that way, they can see it that way because there's all these stories that show yeah. that ways that we love deeply as humans is one of the ways that the divine reaches forward to show us how beloved we are. Mm. So, and then that book has a model for healing sexual shame in it that I developed and touch and non-touch practices in it. So it's, yeah. um, it's, I've been really grateful. It's ended up being really helpful to lots of people. Um, yeah. And then, and then uh, mostly I've been working on another parenting book coming up here, but yeah, I work from home now. I work in my office and I do a yeah. ton of what's called supervision, which is people come to me about their cases and right. I help them with their cases. So I'm not doing a ton of my own clinical work. I do a lot of supervising clinical work of others. Mm. So, do you prefer that? It feels like that'd be a I, very different way of kind of yeah, doing day to day. I love it. You know, I did clinical work for a really, really long time. And what this allows me, and I did supervision along the way, but what this allows me to do is influence how therapy is occurring on a broader scale. Right. You know, Usually and, I'd imagine, um, yeah. It kind of meets the part of me that's a teacher and the part of me that's a therapist and I can weave those things together. And then I can watch people reach their goals you know, become mm. certified as a sex therapist or whatever. And that's super fun for me because I love mentoring. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it, it suits me well. That's awesome. So that's a little I, bit about me. 
Well, I mean, like we, we said earlier, I mean, you've got a lot going on. You, you do a lot of work. You're very prolific in this area. Um, and for, for good reason, you, you are very knowledgeable and you have an incredible um, capacity to um, it, to translate a lot of this information to day-to-day life and very practical and, and simple ways. I loved your book. You know, you talk about global response. You've got a big fan over in the UK. Um, and I frequently recommend your book. I know there's lots of books out now about um, purity culture, healing from purity culture, hearing sexual shame. But certainly when your book came across, well, I came, I came across it through you personally, but when I came across it, it was probably the only book that I'd really read that had kind of looked at it um, in depth and at the same time was extremely accessible with like amazing, interesting stories. And, you know, like it, it wasn't just because I know you're an academic, you know, like yeah, and right. we've read academic books, right? <laughs> I mean, right. not necessarily the best book sometimes to read. And, and, and you, you managed to bring such depth of, of knowledge, of information, but with such accessibility through stories and practical application, like you're talking about, here's actual ways that you can heal from this. I mean, it was, it was a really great um, tool and it's, and it's been a very good tool for me to be able to um, push people towards. That's, That's push great. is probably a really aggressive word there, isn't it? But, you know, direct people towards and push yeah. them into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah. It, it's a really great book. I do, I do recommend it um, for people uh, looking for that. And I'm excited to see this, um, this new book as someone that isn't a parent um, yet. I'm sure at some point that will, that will happen, but uh, um, I'm still excited. I, I just know that you're, you're putting out great stuff. Um, I, I'm intrigued. Like, I mean, there's so many areas we could go down here. Um, but something that fascinates me is, I mean, you're teaching stuff in America. This stuff is is super controversial, generally speaking. As soon as you start touching within kind of the Christian world, even as people come out of Christianity, there's a real um, complex relationship with sex and yeah. with exploring sexuality exploring our our, our our sex drives our our desires our passions our interests our kinks or whatever it might be whatever, yeah. um i i've got a, a discussion group online with some people that are um patrons and and so it's a bit more of an intimate conversation and the conversations we have are just so fascinating but frequently things come up about this sort of thing and and i think even um yesterday or today someone was saying that they have deconstructed and they're i think 22 23 and and they did the christian thing so they're like i'm a virgin i'm a 22 23 year old guy i i've you know barely done anything with anyone and now i'm supposed to not be they, they've kind of deconverted from christianity maybe slightly associated with christianity not so sure probably on the out not really sure you know this weird place yeah. but certainly going i'm not in a purity culture mindset i don't think i need to save myself from marriage or any of these things but I have no idea how to begin this journey. I have no idea how to navigate that. I'm terrified, first of all, because I have no knowledge on what to do, um, except all of us uh, that grew up in the church, where certainly most of the guys have plenty of knowledge of what to do if we're supposed to star in a porno or something. Um, but outside of that, I don't think many guys have much knowledge at all because we, oh. we've been hidden from sexual education in, in our upbringing, maybe homeschool, Christian schools, even secular schools. A lot of yeah. them have such restraints on their on their sexual education like this world of starting to explore like how do i begin to be a sexual being in this world um and even then going and i still have some sexual ethics that are in the back of my mind that i don't know how to draw the line of like 
Is that influenced by church? Is that more of an internal compass that's healthy? Or is that an internal compass that's been imposed upon me? Um, mm -hmm. That's such a complex kind of smattering yeah. of things going on. How do you begin talking to these people? How do you begin kind of helping them explore and grow and develop um, as they're navigating this very complex? I mean, they've got a lot going on just navigating a, a change of spirituality and faith and their relationships with family. I mean, life is hard right now. Life and then is. they've got the component of like, all right, but I'd like not to be single. I'd maybe like to explore relationships. And that is a whole kind of worms again on top of it right. to crack right. open. Um, but I know you work with people like this and I know you've helped people that are in this place. Like, yeah. what what do you do? Where do you begin? How do you begin that process? Yeah, um, I think that the first place I begin is I want to understand what's important to the person. Like, help me understand where you are now with regard to your values, your wants, who you want to become, who you are now, where are you going, what's important to you in a relationship, when a relationship feels good, what does it look like? What is your investment? What's theirs? You know, like, I just want to know them a bit. Mm. And I want through asking those questions for them to reflect on themselves. Um, because sexuality comes out of that. Mm. It comes out of who we are and what we want, how we want to connect with our bodies, how we want to connect with our sexuality, how and when or if we want to share that with anybody, yeah. what what would that look like? You know, what kind of relationship would we want to have or kinds of relationships yeah. would we want to have, right? And so to sort of have just a place to start, you know, I want to understand a little bit about them mm. and then find out a little bit about their sexual history. So what did they learn and what effect has that had on them? And so to reflect back to them through their answers, this is what your legacy seems to be suggesting. Mm. And what of that do you want to keep? And what of that would you like to throw away? Yeah. And so things like, well, my parents never talked to me at all. It was they would just react whenever something came on TV, you know, and like, mm -hmm. well, don't look, or they would just get weird or whatever. And it was always like that. So I'd be like, okay, so you had silence and that silence also projected some shame, you know, yeah. like it made you feel bad. Like what's going on mm -hmm. here that everybody's being so weird about this. Right. Yeah. And so that likely caused you to question your innate curiosities about the world and your own body and your body in relationship to others. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so after that, then I kind of have a sense of where their holes are in their knowledge base. Right. And so often from there, we're going to, and I often clear this with them, like, how would it feel to you if we just spent a little bit of time doing some basic sex education? You know, so I tell you a little bit about what kids naturally do over time so that you can find yourself in there yeah. and I can um, show you uh, what are some things that are important for you to know about yourself. And, and so I just give information like if it's a guy, you know, between 13 and 15, you had 20 times the amount of testosterone dumped in your body within two mm. years, you know, and that turns you from a bicycle to a rocket ship and probably no one told you that. And then we'll talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit, right? And so we'll talk about the uh, dynamic in the real, in the culture 
and in the church that has men in a place of often feeling entitled and expecting that they're going to get served in some way. Mm -hmm. But also if they have been in the church that they came to their sexuality, feeling a little bit like a beast and an animal that can't control themselves and all that stuff, which is just not at all true. And it's very disrespectful to give that message to any child or any person, because we are all capable of self-control. We do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to ever do that to our, our, the men in our society is just heinous to me. And and it's, Mm. and it's cultural too. It's not just biblical. Like we see it all the time, right? That men are blaming women for whatever they acted out and did. But the other side of that too, is they also get a whole lot of messages that women are objects for their pleasure and Mm -hmm. not so much just people. And yet that probably doesn't match up with their values, how they like to be in relationship with people, the people that they love. So we talk about the impact of that, but also that women were shaped that way too. So so we'll talk a little bit about what their orientation is, whether they're gay or straight or whatever, and then talk about what dynamics, sexual dynamics live in those cultures, those communities. Mm. Um, and the community that's having the worst sex and the worst time are the heterosexuals because they've been proscribed a way to have sex. That's very patriarchal. That's very much about Mm. his pleasure, very little about her pleasure or her even being able to explore her pleasure because her pleasure would make her a slut if she knew too much about it. Right. So she just doesn't go there. And then she's afraid. Anytime she did it, anybody, anytime any man was offensive in any way, she immediately thinks I did something to create that interchange, right? Mm. So, so we talk a little bit through these things as we go through some basic sex education and consent education and all of that, looking at what is, what's true, what's factual in comparison to what they were taught. Yeah. And then in comparison to what they want as they move forward, you know, and it's probably after that point and, and a lot of talk about getting to know your own body and your own arousal cycle and all of that and trying to relieve the shame off masturbation because masturbation is actually very Mm -hmm. healthy Um, to then talk about what, uh, what a relationship would look like. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then what do they want to experience in their relationship or experience even sexually so that we can then begin to talk about all of those things, all of those ways, the pros, the cons, the ups, the downs, whatever, you know, and hopefully get them to a place where they're beginning to feel equipped to enter the dating world where many of the people will have years of experience over them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what I want for them is not to get the wool pulled over their heads, but to actually understand something about entering the world in their 20s or whatever they are. I had a wonderful person come to me one time and she was 43 and she said, I forgot to date. I just forgot Mm -hmm. to. I was just so busy doing my life and my career and everything. And I didn't come from a religious background. I just it just didn't it just wasn't important enough to me, I guess. She goes, but I've just had an experience. My very first 
sexual experience and it woke something up in me. And now I'm scared to death because <laughs> I know I don't know how to enter the world with just this one experience. Right. Yeah. And nothing else. <laughs> right. And so we did a lot of that work together, she and I. And then yeah. her first relationship outside of her own was a really healthy, good relationship that fit her the way that she wanted it to. So um, I think it's just a little bit of that stuff. Yeah, just, just a little bit of that. I mean, this is there's a whole <laughs> lot to unpack and, and go through, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. it's amazing. And, and it just highlights how much stuff is going on as well. This isn't, uh, oh, I was taught this one thing. And if I just unpack that, I'll be kind of fine. Or, you know, like, it, right. we kind of like look at these things as such um, isolated, like, oh, that's the problem, or this is the problem. But these are huge systemic kind of um, problems, right? From patriarchal problems right through to kind of like fear of sex and 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 tangible physical sin versus you know more internal sin and how we'd love to demonize something that's external and viewable and easy to point at and the way we view other people and how we view them for a male gaze whether we're male or female generally speaking across the board and all these different things um so much to unlearn and unpack yes. um and it's and it's really hard i guess uh, you know, sitting down with someone and going, so what, what do you want to, like, what, what do you value? What are your values? What, what is important to you? Even some of that, I know I've talked to people and they go, well, I don't trust myself because there's an element where I don't trust myself because I've been taught by the church not to trust myself. Right. But there's also an element of going, actually, I know that's toxic big time and I've grown beyond that and I'm learning to trust myself and, and listen to my body and listen to myself but I don't trust the inner voice I've had created for the last decade or two that's got this inner voice that says, oh, you looked at her, you're evil, or oh, you wore a strappy top, you you are responsible for how that guy looked at you, or oh, you X, Y, and Z, right? Fill in the blank, the thousands of voices in our heads saying these different things that we internalize. That's our voice, right? It's, it's maybe our mothers, it's maybe our pastors, it's maybe the, the youth group accountability partners, whoever it is. But it's now our voice. Um, and I guess, how do you begin to unwind? Because I guess as a Christian, uh, in a conventional sense, it's kind of a rule book, right? And so if my inner world doesn't line up with a rule book, I can go, okay, well, that's wrong. That's evil. I can just put that to the side and trust the rule book. But when you take something like that off the table and you go, well, I'm not no longer, not that the rule book said anything about sex particularly much anyway. And if it did, it certainly wasn't saying what we're saying it's saying. But assuming it did somehow talk about purity culture and all of that good stuff and wonderful healthy values that we're learning as christians um assuming it did somehow say that if, if you're listening to this podcast instead of watching it the facial expressions were not positive in that that <laughs> little <No>. um, <laughs> statement um you know assuming that's not healthy assuming that's not wrong and so now i'm coming away and i'm sitting down and i'm going okay what are my values listen to myself but i go but i've got this inner voice that some of my values are saying, oh, sex is good. And I should, I shouldn't shame myself for looking at someone that I'm attracted to and going, that's, that's beautiful. I'm, ex I'm attracted to that. I'm aroused even that that's, that's normal, healthy responses. And yet also there's other voices going on in there that says, oh, this is wrong though. And that, and oh, you shouldn't be kissing three guys in one week. Oh my gosh, that's so evil or whatever. You know, all these voices are competing and I don't have a rule book to throw back on. You know, I don't have a, 
this yes. is actually the right way. Oh, it's uh, you can kiss up to five girls or five guys, or you can uh, you can you can sleep around before you settle down, but only up to eleven people. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or you sleep with people on the fourth date. Otherwise, no, you're still a bit slutty there. You know, come on, and like all these voices, all these ideas of because we're we're basically building our own sexual ethic at this point, um, yeah. and with all these conflicting voices going on. How do you begin to trust your ability to build a sexual ethic um, when you're coming out of a brainwashed culture? And, and, and yeah. I say that not even in a in a negative sense. It's just that's how we grow. We we, we are right. washed. Our our development is is washed with a certain view, whatever that is, as we grow up. Um, how, how do you begin to kind of help people find a sexual ethic? Because I'm assuming you don't have a playbook where you're like, here's the rules and here's how you do it, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm pretty confident when I say that um, because it just doesn't sound very healthy. Yeah. But how do you help people build that? You know, especially when they're they're probably looking for it in some ways coming from a very authoritarian upbringing. Um, wh where do you start? <laughs> how do you do yeah. that? That is such an important question because that is, you really framed and describe what people do feel so often is these conflicting voices in their head because they're they're moving right they're moving along the deconstruction road or challenging patriarchy road or whatever they're moving along a road and so they have two different voices mm. so the first thing to do is help them to notice them because sometimes people don't know they're there, but they'll like, they'll have reactions, right? And so yeah. then it's like unpacking that and then looking at, so what's the behavior? What's the feeling that you've got? And what's the thought? Is the thought valid to what the behavior from where you're moving to, mm. right? And, and letting them know that what we're doing in this is we are constructing their sexual ethic based on their values and what's important to them. Mm. And we're going to do it very carefully, you know, based on sort of what's going on in their head. And I do a lot of explaining the neuroplasticity of our brain. Like we have, when we have thought something over and over and over again, because we were taught it, it's like it creates a groove in our head that just keeps getting a little deeper and a little deeper every time we go over it. Well, when we're deconstructing and really examining critically things in our lives that haven't set right in our gut and we're beginning to listen in there and beginning to trust that, mm -hmm. then what we're gonna supplant those other messages with is the message that we actually have thought of critically that we believe. To be true it matches the values that we've been talking about yeah now there's going to be a lot of mistakes that are made and i i'm of the belief that there's no such thing as a mistake if you turn it into a lesson if it didn't mm. feel right what do you want to pull from that experience that you want to learn from we learn through experience. If God didn't want us to learn through experience, he would have the prefrontal lobe developed a hell of a lot sooner than 25 or 28, right? right? But it doesn't. And so obviously experience is a teacher. And so when we learn to listen and we say, oh, you know, that didn't, that didn't feel right to me. 
then it's think about well, what what went awry and how did mm. it go awry and how would you have wanted it to go and how can that inform your future decisions? It's just part of learning. But as they move in the direction of the way they want to think and believe, they're going to build strong neural pathways in that in that direction. And there will come a time that they will notice they're not physiologically reacting to something yeah. the way they used to. And, and that is the brain has seriously changed at that point. It's mm. not dropping those same neuropeptides that are making you feel anxious or bad about yourself or whatever, because you've been literally practicing thinking in a way that matches your beliefs and what you want. And then acting on that to the best of your ability as you learn, you know, and then modifying, yeah. coming back and modifying and moving forward. So it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. It does yeah. happen. The brain is amazing in its ability to help you move from one place to another. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And, and, and a beautiful thing, isn't it? That we can, yeah. no matter how much we have built some, I mean, neuropathways, these things are like, you know, 20 lanes wide sometimes. But I mean, I know for me growing up in Christianity, like, honestly, like, I think I, I say this a lot, but I think from probably the age of about 14, it was quite late in developing in a lot of ways, but I think from the age of 14 to probably about, probably at 25, 24, every single thought I had about God, prayer I had with God, um, time I opened my Bible, on some level that was interwoven with thoughts about sex and masturbation and porn and sin, because that's how I, I mean, it was so important that you didn't do all these things that I was a hundred percent doing. And so were all the people teaching me because they were like, you know, a 19 year old youth group leader or whatever, you know? Um, and so, but that frames every time I open the Bible, I'd be like, okay, but I also masturbated yesterday or I watched porn or whatever it is. Or I, or I, or I thought about that pretty girl in the youth group and oh, I shouldn't think about her or whatever. Um, yeah. It doesn't really matter how bad it was. It, it still got in my head and it was like, oh, can I, can I come before God? I need to say, I need to get right with God to pray and all these different things. Like it just became the way I interacted with God was through sex on some level, which is a, a terrifying, like weird thing to be developing this pathway in my brain that literally until I was 25, even I was literally thinking yeah. about God when I thought about sex and thinking about sex when I thought about God, like they almost became the same kind of interwoven reality that I had to kind of navigate. Um, yeah, and it and, sounds like the yeah. way you were thinking about God is I'm not good enough and God's going to think I'm not good enough too. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's a way to think about God intersecting with sexuality that actually makes the sexuality yeah, more expansive and more fun and more everything. Um, but the way, what you're describing is what, you know, 99% of the people that I talk to talk about that if they did grow up with a faith structure after they started hitting puberty, there was just this constant inner conflict going on because empire religion, all of them have been teaching that sex is bad. It is bad. It not only takes you away from God, but it ruins you, mm -hmm. you know, on some level and God does not approve. And so then this is what enters into people's attempt to integrate sexuality and spirituality. It's always negative. 
Yeah. It's never positive. Like they, they didn't get any positive messages. They're there. I prove it in my book. It's they're there, but that's not what people got. Yeah. It's not, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard to see. And I, I, on the whole thought I was the only one, which is fascinating because I was in the same youth group with everyone else. And I was in the same young adults group and I was in the same, whatever, you know, it just, I, I shouldn't have been surprised by this. And then when I became the youth leader and the whatever I was teaching this stuff, right? So I, it's all this interwoven mess. Um, but you do feel like very isolated in this. You don't realize because we don't highlight this. We don't talk about it until you kind of come out and you go, whoa, there's a whole world here kind of going, guys, this isn't healthy. Let us help you retrain. You know, you've got websites and books and all sorts going, hey, we need to kind of help you go through this journey. Um, there's yeah. dedicated therapists solely dedicated to helping people coming out of religion. Like that's all they do. And they have a full client roster and a waiting list for months. You know what I mean? Like it, it's no shortage. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is, it's such a huge deal and it's so helpful to know that there are these kind of certainly not simple, certainly not easy. Um, but in another sense, very easy. We, we, if we sit down and do the work, if we, if we explore this stuff, if we, yeah. you know, find someone that we can process it with externally, that might help even more, like, but we can do these things that aren't actually, um, you know, impossible tasks. They're very simple tasks in a sense, might be hard tasks emotionally, you know, right. uh, and, right. and draining and tiring and you need to listen to your body and take your time and all that different stuff. But it's it's doable. It, it really is very doable to kind of overcome this. And, and like you said, have an integration because many people coming out of this might redefine what God looks like, might redefine what that relationship is, or if they see God as a theistic kind of model or something else. But whatever it is, there are throughout those different traditions, throughout those different spiritual ways to engage there are very meaningful ways as well to have um, spirituality and sexuality um, begin to inter interweave and, and, and almost redeem it on the other end of the spectrum there. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you have yeah. thoughts on um, how people can begin to explore that? So, I mean, there's, there's the getting healthy to a kind of almost just out of the red, right? Into the neutral, right? Um, mm -hmm. But then is there, what What do you suggest for people that are, they feel like they've kind of dealt with a lot of their hangups, they've dealt with a lot of the shame and, and you know, the regret, the guilt, the whatever else might be holding them back as they are exploring intimacy with a, with a partner. Um, how do they begin knowing where to explore to kind of go into kind of more of a, um, or reintegrating spirituality into sexuality? Because I, I can imagine at the early stages, those might be things that people kind of almost have to separate as they're figuring out their spirituality anyway. It is almost quite healthy to kind of separate and just kind of figure these out on separate paths and then maybe reintegrate once we kind of have a bit more of a, a, a bearing on what's healthy for each kind of independent component. I might be speaking at my ass here. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I, I'm speaking more of my own personal journey, I guess. It wasn't you know, I wasn't exploring kind of tantric sex or, you know, mindfulness present sex or anything like that. Um, while I was still going, I don't even know what God is. And I'm actually a bit scared of tantra or, or like, you know, or whatever it might be. And then also going, yeah. And I also still feel shame when I have an orgasm because I've spent the last 20,000 orgasms. I was trained to feel shame. So of course I automatically have some shame responses there I'm working on and healing from. And, you know, so there's all these different things that you're navigating, but once you do feel a bit out of the red, do you like my rambling questions, by the way? Good five them. minutes, right? Hey, I'm, I'm making sure I give you a broad spectrum to hit here. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, once you are at that, that, that kind of 
red situation where you are in this deficit, you are trying to heal these neural pathways, where, where's some healthy places to start exploring um, reintegrating spirituality and sex? Yeah, yeah, that's great. So the model in my book for healing sexual shame is called healing the mess model for erasing sexual shame. And that's frame, name, claim, and name. So frame is getting yourself the sex education. Name is telling your story, which is what you're talking about. Find someone who can, you can tell your story to about what it was like for you, who can reflect back compassion, empathy, and knowledge to mm. you, right? And sometimes people do that with friends too. You know, they're part of just not feeling alone in it is finding a, a wonderful group of friends to just talk about how, you know, effed up you felt like you got around sexuality, right? So that's frame and name. And then claim is claiming your body. So a lot of people have real body things going on that they got from culture and from the church, right? Yeah. And so they're not in relationship with their body in a way that letting someone into that feels okay yet to them. Yeah. Either they have body hate going on or so much body shame around like their arousal cycle or orgasm or ejaculation or you know something around there that just feels like I don't know that I could bring someone into that world, you know? So, so you're doing that. And so I'm getting to your question. So no, no, this is good. It's really helpful to give that kind of path. Yeah. They're moving through this. They are aiming, which I say aim is changing your legacy. You're aiming for a brand new sexual legacy. You're doing that whether you realize it or not. That's what you're doing as you do these three things over and over and over again and changing your brain. But just because you do that doesn't mean you know then how to reintegrate or integrate a kind of sexuality and spirituality that you want. Mm. And so that's, that's what chapter seven or eight is of my book entirely, because I saw that all the time. People would be moving, but they still would be like, ah, I'm afraid to move into it. Mm. Like, I don't even know how to step into it in a way that feels okay to me or how do I do it in a way where I'm not blocking my the divine or however I'm thinking I'm blocking that from it because I don't want to do that anymore I don't want to be split apart bifurcated anymore I want to be integrated so in that chapter we talk about letters that you can write um to yourself to your body to God or however you're thinking of it, letters from the divine back to you about you and your mm. body and your sexuality and what the purpose of that is, all of that. And that that has been so much fun to do with people because mm. nine times out of 10, the voice isn't theirs. Right. When they come read it to me, they go, this, this isn't, this is not me. I would not say this to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it doesn't even really just sound like me, but it feels so right like it like it came from above or came from somewhere outside of me that knows something holy about Mm. sexuality that I've been needing to learn and then after that there's just some small steps of things you can do um, both by yourself when you're sexual like when you're um, doing any self-pleasing activity at all to really bring in a different kind of mantra Mm. and so kind of designing that mantra what is it you know like 
I love this part of you. This is a wonderful part of you. I gave it to you so that you can experience connection and pleasure in your life mm. because I'm a loving God. That's why I gave it to you. And it's always with you. <laughs> you don't have yeah. to set it down. It's with you. And so you kind of working on it with yourself, but then you also, there's ideas on how to work on it with a partner too. Things that you can do. And it can be as simple as doing a really long hug where you hold each other really close to your body and you feet, you make yourself come there. You're not running a million miles an hour in your head. So that takes a little bit of time sometimes. Just come there and then begin to synchronize your breath. So you're breathing either in at the same time and out at the same time, or you're both bringing breathing you know out or you're doing some kind of opposite kinds of breathing but breathe together and what actually physiologically happens is your hearts will begin to beat at the exact same time mm. that will mm. happen so do that and then after you've been doing that for a bit then begin to imagine that on the out breath you are sending all the love you've ever received in your whole life into your human your person and then on the in-breath that you're capturing all the love they're sending to you. And then yeah. just stay in that place for a minute or two, just feeling that, being mindful that that's what's occurring right then. And then after you're done, you can sort of pull, pull away <clears throat> and then look in each other's eyes and tell each other that you love each other, but don't say it. Mm. Just look and acknowledge it, right? And that one thing alone is sometimes more intimate than people have ever brought into their sexual lives, right? So we want sure. to start them in something that feels safe. And I'm always saying to people that have kids or animals, you want to do this long enough that they're between you. Because if they're not mm. between you, then you're not doing it long enough. You know, it should take a good three minutes or so. Yeah. Good long hug like that. And it's amazing how healing that is. There are a lot of people that are feel disconnected in their relationship, like they're fighting all the time or whatever. And just that one intervention will change things because they begin to feel loved and accepted. Mm. And what I always say, seen, known, loved, and accepted, which is what we crave. And so when you do that, you're doing that without talking. And that I think is much better sometimes than talking. Sure. So there's that, there's sitting across from each other and gazing into each other's eyes, doing something similar to that. Um, and it's bringing that amount of attention, intention, breath, eyes, and love to every form of touch you mm -hmm. want to do with your partner. And so you're practicing showing up, right? And as you do, what will occur is the, the whole of the whole will be there. Yeah. And you will have experiences at times that just feel a little bit other, you know, like, wow, there was something else blessing this connection we just shared. And I'm always saying to people, um, sex, especially the straight people, sex is not penis and vagina sex. Mm -hmm. Sex is for connection and pleasure. That's usually what we're drawn to. It's those two things we hear most often from people when we ask them, what do you see is the purpose of sex at all? And they'll come down to those two things often. And, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I really believe we're born 
seeking connection and pleasure. We come out of the womb and we're rooting towards the breast and yet the breast milk isn't there for a couple of days, but we're Mm. seeking connection and pleasure. Toddlers, if they don't get enough holding, right, they'll have neurological damage because their brain is literally wired through touch and their emotional system and future intimacy system is wired through touch and eyes, both gazing. You know, that is this mirroring thing that happens in our brain that's super important in our development. But then, you know, skip over the adults, the teenagers and adults, and you get to Alzheimer's units where people don't have Mm. memories anymore and you will find people seeking connection and pleasure there too so there's something here in this in between when we start to become socially aware of what's okay and what's not okay and before we lose our mind (laughs) where we ignore the power of intentional touch in our Mm. lives in all kinds of ways and so i'm always saying if you if you're you know in your relationship if you're both saying to each other that you experienced connection and pleasure, whatever it was you were doing, put that in the sex definition. Mm. Because you're doing something that's intimate to you, to the two of you, or if it's a relationship of more than two people, that's that's, uh, intimate to you. And it's leaving people feeling connected and they've shared pleasure together. They've shared fun together. They've Mm. shared something healing together that felt good, you know? Yep. Put that in your put that in your definition. When you have a wide, wide definition of sexuality that is that way, then you have a banquet in front of you. Yeah. And if you're sick, you go have bananas or toast and milk or something, you know. And if you're just filled with energy and you both are just the drive is there, the desire is there. You might just do all kinds of things. You might try new things, you know, whatever, but it's all a part of your banquet and it doesn't have to then look the same each time you come together to share something intimate with each other. It can be, what do you feel up for now, right now? Mm -hmm. And you know, you just had a baby. They're so like, don't you come near that part of my body? That's (laughs) fine. We've got millions of other ways to make love. Right. So yeah. that's sort of how I think about it and helping someone kind of get there. That's so helpful as well. Uh, just thinking, I think we talked about this in the last episode, and I think you shared um, a statistic about libido imbalance um, and yeah. how, uh, you know, I think of that because I have a very low libido. I often go, am I asexual? Gosh, if it wasn't for every now and again, I'm like, yes, I want to go have sex right now. Like, I honestly, I'm just like, gosh, I think I could go a long time without sex and I'd be fine. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's not the case for people that I've been with in my life. And I go, okay, great. And so there's, there's compromises there and this is, I'll have sex more often. Let's be honest. It's not the worst thing to compromise on in the grand scheme of things. Um, and so, um, at least for me, I have to have to say that as well, of course. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's suddenly having this, this concept of like, oh, well, this isn't about penetration anyway. This can look like going and having a bath together or, just right. laying down on the couch and snuggling and, and just chatting about our day or, you know, yeah. and, and spending sex is all of this. When we, we, when we allow for this definition of sex equals connection plus pleasure, you know what I mean? There's right. so much there that one person in this relationship might be like, I am just not in the mood or maybe even just for a very physiological co- uh, component of, I just had a baby. Right. So right. hormones have changed. 
parts of me are healing you know yes. no go away um but actually don't go away because i would really yeah. like this yeah. connection actually right. and I, this type yeah. of i need that in my life right now probably more than ever um yeah. and so it's just it's such um it's such a liberating component because i know for me within the church the things i've been exposed to and now talking to people day in day about their experiences and how they're trying to navigate and heal them the harm that has come from these kind of concepts of sex being only sexual penetration when sex is framed as generally speaking well men are just these rabid dogs that want sex 24 7 and if you are not there at the beck and call you are robbing them you are an unhealthy partner blah 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 that's crazy unhealthy on everyone right on men and women Um, because women lose as well because some women have a higher libido than their male and then they go gosh this guy's supposed to be wanting me all the time and he doesn't so is there something wrong with me am i not desirable or am i sinful that i want to have sex all the time because i was told that women don't want to have sex and you just have to kind of just just give it up or you know or whatever the kind of unhealthy bullshit is um that is something a lot of people are healing from um i I wonder as as people are going through this healing process something that i've come across is a really hard thing to navigate as people deconstruct is often the mismatch in relationship as far as spirituality and so because Mm. you know a lot of people are really fortunate in that they are in tune with their partner in a way that works on a spiritual level that they somehow manage to start deconstructing at the same time or slightly different but but somehow their partner comes along with them and goes yeah actually i've been thinking about that stuff or yeah you're right that doesn't make sense let's roll um but there's a lot of people in relationships where that doesn't actually happen and as we deconstruct i mean our our, our ethics around sexuality change our concepts of those things evolve and change and obviously for a lot of people if they're already in a relationship they're quite content in that relationship maybe sexually and it's fine but for a lot of people they might go gosh i am missing out i'd like to explore i'd like to try something different new these kind of things but if their partner isn't going through this and they still hold to these very toxic relationships maybe gosh it's it's maybe a a, a, you know certain concepts might run through i'm thinking gosh if a woman's been told well you just have to have sex with a man and you basically fall into this what is effectively rape constant like permitted rape by the church and endorsed rape and that might work if a guy goes oh i want to try something new and the woman's like oh gosh well i didn't want to do the old stuff but this is my model and and it's a horrible thought but that might happen but on the flip side if a woman's going hey i want to explore my sexuality actually i'd like to have sexual pleasure more than you want to can i go buy a sex toy can i Mm -hmm. you know these kind of conversations are very or maybe you just don't have that conversation because you know it's not a good idea but then your partner finds a sex toy and i mean you know these these imbalances can be really problematic do how do you um how do you see these things playing out in a relationship how how do you begin to have these conversations when people aren't necessarily on the same page spiritually have you come across this in your therapy i imagine you have Uh, (laughs) if i've come across this guaranteed people have come to you with this question um, how, how do you begin to navigate these these issues? Are, you, are are people fundamentally incompatible? Are these relationships doomed to failure every time? Or are there things that people can do? Because I imagine a lot of people, while that might be an outcome, generally speaking, a lot of people are wanting to avoid that, um, yeah. I'd imagine, yeah. um, for a myriad but of reasons. And, and for a lot of people, they can avoid that. It mm. has to do with the malleability of the couple relationship and the amount of trust that they have there. Um, and if there's some malleability and there isn't like total rigidness 
then often we're able to like build a bridge between and start walking on that bridge towards each other um, as far as how we relate to each other, right? And, And in there is a whole lot of sex education, right? That's just teaching things like there are two kinds of sexual drive. Like I want to be sexual. There's two different kinds. One of them is spontaneous, you're in the grocery store, you're getting Cheerios, I don't know. And all of a sudden you think, God, sex would be so fun right now. That's spontaneous mm. desire, or I call that a drive. You just, you have a drive for that. There is also what we call responsive desire, where mm. you are, your head is in your work. It is in all the things that need to get done. You're completely, you know, on in your right brain functioning. And it's going to take the Titanic to kind of move you into the more playful part of your brain. Right. Well, you'll often either start moving yourself into that place because you actually want some kind of connection. And you're talking about what kind of connection you want. Um, And also it's about your partner studying the little knobs on you that move you there, that get you going, I do want to do this, you know, and that takes, you know, often some wooing, some working with the other person's body, maybe, or doing pre things together that you want to do that, you know, if you have energy for whatever and, um, responsive desire is like 60% of women have responsive desire, but while, but when they've been in a relationship, like six months or longer. So it's very, very, very common. In patriarchy, we think spontaneous is it. That's how everyone should be. It's not right. how everyone is. That's a total colonizing idea, thanks to somebody. I don't know who. Um, but it's definitely not how we're wired. And right. again, it could be male or female that you have these kinds of desires, right? Or these kinds of you know drives in you. So one of the things I like to say to the person who experiences a strong sexual drive. And by drive, I mean, they want to move through their arousal cycle to orgasm. That's how they feel. They're like, they're a little keyed up. They just feel like, you know, that would be a really good thing for me, right? With women, it's once I get them over the hump that pleasure is okay, that's often not a hard thing to say, I can take care of that myself. I don't have to look to my husband to do that and or, or partner to do that if they don't feel like it. With men, it's a little harder, right? To say the way that you've been taught about this, parts of the message is, is that it's her job to move you through your arousal cycle after you get married. And actually it's not, it's never been. These two things called hands, one of their major purposes is to help you move through your arousal cycle. You know, it is not your partner's job to satisfy your sexual drive, okay? You can do that yourself. You can get yourself there. You can get all those wonderful chemicals and you Mm. can be like, I feel so much better, right? What you can't do by yourself is intimacy. You can't do intimacy by yourself. And so that comes from desire in you for connection. I want to be connected. One of the things I hear when we have couples that come in where the guy has high desire and she's low desire, 
is she's usually been hating the sex they've been having for years. <clears throat> but if she's been doing it anyway, because she thinks that's what being a good wife is about, or he's going to leave me if I don't, or what. So she's been doing it his way all that time. And she's getting angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier until finally she says, F it, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And then there's a big explosion in the relationship, right? Um, so one of the things is teaching men that they have a drive and a desire and that those are separate. And I'll often say things like, how is sex right now? Like, how is it? Like you guys are coming in here, you're saying things aren't good, but how is it? Are you enjoying it? Are you having the kind of sex you want to have? They will both Mm. say no. (laughs) What he tends to say more often than not is she doesn't feel like she's there to me. She doesn't feel like she's totally in it. So I don't know if she loves me, wants me, needs me, anything, because I can't feel her there. She's not, I don't think she really wants to be there. But we're doing it anyway, because I don't know what else to do. Right. So then I get talking to him about what does being there look like? And what does that satisfy inside him? And it's always this deep connection and pleasure, right? That he wants to have with her there, right? And so it'd be like, if we had to set intercourse or the way you've been doing it, the dance you've been doing off to the side for a while, maybe a long while, would you be okay with us coming up with things you guys can do that for her, she really wants to do with you and she's willing to really show up to that mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. And he said, he's almost always, when it's a guy that is really in love or attached to his partner, he will say, absolutely. If you can help us figure that out, I just want her. I just, I miss her. Mm-hmm. You know, she has stopped hugging me in the kitchen because she's afraid that I'm going to want sex. And she's probably right. But if we could figure this out a different way. And so I'll be like, okay, so we're going to talk about what's different between your drive and your desire for intimacy. Mm. And I want you to start taking care of your drive yourself. And then we may have to talk about how he does that, you know, because some erotic imagery might not be okay or whatever. So we might have to talk about that, but we do, we talk about it. Um, And then he's doing that. And so when he comes to be connected, he is totally okay with whatever they want, what she wants to do just so he can have her, like have her heart and her body there. Mm. You know, he's like a happy clam. So this is what we learn to create. And then often she'll get to a place where she's like, it, it could happen while they're doing something else, or it could just happen down the road where she's like, I miss that thing we used to do. I want to do that sometimes too. But then she shows up to that, like, get here, get inside me right now. I mean, whatever it is, she's like all about it. And it's completely different sexual experience for them. Right. Um, So that's some of what we do when there is a significant desire discrepancy. It's helping them understand it, giving them some education around it, and then helping them understand the bigger cultural construct that set them up for transactional boring obligatory sex and it was only a matter of time before someone's Mm -hmm. desire was going to tank because they don't 
they're not having the sex they want to have with their partner at all. Um, and so once we do kind of deconstruct that, then we start, can start constructing something that are a bunch of experiments, you mm. know, to see how they like them. That's awesome. I love that. It's, it's, um, I mean, that must be such a common experience, even without any kind of spiritual disconnects and things like that. Anyway, okay. I mean, I, I hear about that all the time. I've got plenty of guy friends that are going, oh, my wife never has sex with me. Or, or uh, I've got a few guy friends that are, oh, I have sex too much or whatever. I don't know, like, you know, that, because it is as black and white, right? As men want sex all the time, women don't want sex. That's definitely not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got lots of female friends, actually, that talk about that dynamic as well. And, and you're just like, gosh, this is just everywhere <laughs> it's just such everywhere. a common problem and I, I think it is largely we just do not talk about probably beyond religion this is culturally probably not talked about too much we just don't like to address these components for some reason the culture likes the idea of a woman that you know is less sexually charged driven whatever i don't know what that is i mean you can probably guess all day at different patriarchal kind of components um but yeah, but it's not it's, it's, what makes men happy. No, exactly. No one's partner. happy with this scenario. No, no. He loves it when she shows up and shares her her pleasure with him. He's like, I helped make that happen. This is yeah. awesome. He's way more into that than he is into penis and vagina sex. If he can watch, if he can be a part of helping her bloom, her sexuality and her sexual desire and arousal bloom, he feels like the man. Yeah. I mean, this is what I see all the time in when it's that way. Yeah. Man, that's so good. It's really, really interesting. So you talked, you kind of touched on things like masturbation and things like that, which are incredible gifts, amazing tools. I mean, phenomenal, especially for that, like that, that drive that you just do hits, right. you know, I just want to deal with this. And so you talk to your partner and like, not really. And you're like, okay, I can deal with this quite quickly. That's no problem. Cool. Yes. Um, and there's obviously some barriers for, um, people coming out of a Christian background. I mean, that is a huge no, no. Um, for various reasons, because for the young guys, they're talked about don't masturbate nonstop. That's what they get told. And for the young girls, they don't, they know that's what the guys are talking about, but no one mentions it to them. And then they actually feel even worse because they're like, gosh, I really shouldn't have this drive, right? Because at least the guys know they're supposed to have this drive and fight it. I'm not even supposed to have this drive. Never mind that. So there's all sorts of things going on there. So assuming we get past that, assuming because we can heal from that, we can do a lot of the tools that you've talked about already to kind of work through that. Um, There are questions of how do we, is there healthy um boundaries that we set ourselves obviously things like partners might have a say on that obviously i can imagine certain partners going hey i would rather you didn't look at a picture of my best friend while you did it or <laughs> i'm thinking of a really obvious Here's example that would be a bit weird um, don't look at a picture of my sister or you know um, right. but porn maybe some people might go actually nah, i don't mind that so much i get it or other people might go that's really not okay comfortable for me but i'm also thinking and maybe you can touch on that, but I'm thinking beyond this because I've had people ask me this about raising kids. And obviously this is a really normal thing. You're talking 20 ton, twenty times the testosterone, which let's face it, is already way too much, right? We don't need this much testosterone at all. This is too much. Like we, we are made to have sex way more often than we need for, you know, having kids or anything, right? This is a lot. Um, and so we, we've got a lot. And then you get to the age of, 12 13 14 and it's kaboom and suddenly it's like i'm gonna have to deal with this right (laughs) whether i fight it for an hour or two and then do it or i deal with it i'm gonna have to deal with this 
a lot of parents that have been through purity culture don't want to replicate those really unhealthy messages, really unhealthy rules and regulations. And yet it does seem to suggest that there are, if you look at data and studies that have been done on masturbation, on porn, um, there does seem to be, suggest there can be some really unhealthy patterns that can develop, addictions that can develop. Um, obviously, there's components of sexual ethics that can be exposed and, and, and really quite unhealthy things um, developed, depending on where you go with porn and things like that as well. How do you recommend parents talk to their teens about navigating this process of finding a healthy release um, and maybe exploring certain sexual components of that as well? without and, and maybe i'm wrong here i just i just know i've seen certain things i know there's lots of movements you know you've got porn as a new drug and things like that like that do talk a lot and give a lot of data and go no there's some really unhealthy stuff going on here that can really harm people do you have thoughts on this is that accurate is that something we should be concerned of did the church get some of this right maybe <laughs> uh, not saying the model necessarily applied but were were some of their concerns maybe right that maybe we should be wary of exposing our kids to a lot of porn and um, and that maybe there's different models for how to go about that. Like, do you have thoughts? I'm sure you have lots of thoughts. Yeah, on this. I'm sure it's a whole section in your book. <laughs> lots of thoughts. Um, first off, let me say that the average age that kids are being exposed to porn is nine. Okay. And since some studies I've seen, it's younger. And so you're actually talking with them around six or so about, you know, sometimes there are things that are on TV or on the phone, someone could show you and it could scare you and you might not understand what you were seeing and you might feel a whole lot of feelings. If that happens, if you end up seeing something and it doesn't feel right, um, I want you to come tell me and then you can describe it and I'll tell you what you saw. Mm. When they're like eight, then it's like, the things that, that I'm talking about are usually people being naked and they're, they're doing something very intimate. And that can scare you too, because it doesn't look right. It doesn't look right. normal. It doesn't look like what you've known. And so I want you to come talk to me so that I can help you understand what it was that you saw. Mm. Um, and then you're talking about developing media literacy, which is not just sexual, but if you're doing this along the way, like, how do you, how, what do you think about how that woman treated that man right there? What do you think about that? Um, you're creating in them an ability to do critical thinking about what they're seeing and hearing in social media, in TV. So there's all that, okay? Then, yeah. yes, I think parents need to uh be incredibly mindful about what their kids are being exposed to um there is a site called bark bark.com i think and all they do is try to understand the impact of social media and pornography and stuff on kids and what happens like with it's something like within 30 seconds of any girl logging on to a chat room, she will be approached by a predator. Like it's just that fast. And so like I have in my new book coming out, what you do at age six, what you do at age eight, what you do at age 10 and what you do so that 
these conversations of media literacy and pictures and things that are scary and how we're going to deal with it are all been part of our hundred one minute conversations that we've been having since they were two. Right. Um, Then, then when they're a little older, maybe 11, 12, you start talking about what pornography actually is and that there are different types of pornography and I'll usually help people understand the difference between free pornography and ethical pornography so free Mm. pornography girls are got they get them off facebook they're 18 years old they ship them down to florida they think they're going to become famous right and um and they are exploited so horribly so horribly that most of them can't last more than three months before they're traumatized completely um you can watch a documentary by Rashida Jones called um, Hot Girls Wanted. And that oh, yeah. kind of explains what free pornography, the industry of free pornography. Mm-hmm. They also did a series called Hot Girls Wanted Turned On. And it was a, a TV series. And episode one, I believe it's one. Or is, well, maybe, maybe it's not. Anyway, you can look on the, on, the, on the descriptions, but describes ethical pornography. So ethical pornography are people want to be in it. They are paid a fair price. They often design the scenes and mm. certainly approve of the scenes before they happen. So you know that this is not sexual exploitation. This is sex work. And sex yeah. work is part of our world. Regardless of what you think of it, it is part of our world. And it's a legitimate part of our world that people can mm-hmm. decide how they want to earn money. And if it doesn't exploit somebody and it's not non, it's consensual, it is consensual, then it's a adult, it's an adult decision, you know, right. and you can feel what you want about it, but it's, it's okay. Right. Um, so then you can talk about those and you can, tell them a little bit more about how their peer group is likely going to respond to pornography as they get in it and how it will shape the way they think about mm. women if, yeah. they're, if they're heterosexual. If they're gay, uh, a boy, a gay boy, the porn, gay porn is not, uh, does not have violence in it. It's got all the different ways that guys like to have sex, you know, one right after the all the different ways in a whole thing you know and it looks consensual Mm. no one looks like they're being hurt or being doing something they don't want or whatever and that's just how gay porn is we have this thing with heterosexuals that we it's very misogynistic in our culture and beginning Mm. in the early mid 80s we started we in in the states we lift all the federal communication commission's regulations on media we lifted them so you could put anything on tv or video or whatever and so we started to have this influx of video games which was brand new and then misogyny i mean women getting destroyed over and over sexual and otherwise and kids are getting raised on that appetite right and we have nothing blocking that at all. And so you need to talk about that when you look at something like that over and over again, you will begin to think that women are objects, but are they objects in our family? Do we treat people as objects? We don't. We think people are gifts, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we believe in being respectful 
So how then do you want to be in relationship with erotic imagery, if that's mm. going to be a part of your life, whether it's a Victoria's Secret catalog or whether it's something else in such a way that you don't, you're not objectifying that person. Right. You're thinking about them as a whole person, right? Mm. Um, and then it's the, also that we've been masturbating without imagery forever, and you can certainly use your imagination. And I remember saying to my son, I have, I have a, well, I have two, but, but my oldest is 34 now. And I can remember saying to him, I don't know, around 13, when we found it on the computer, right? Um, just saying, uh, I, someday you are likely, I, we already knew he was straight, like, gonna fall in love with somebody. And what I know about you is that you love deep. You love hard. And what I don't want to have happen for you is for you to spend the next 10 years watching something that's telling you that women are objects only to fall in love with a woman that it would mortify you if you thought of somebody masturbating to her. Mm. So what I want you to try to do is to think about how you can revere or respect the people that you're seeing as whole people. And that's where ethical pornography has more of a foothold than the free pornography does, but you have to pay for it. It's a whole other yeah. thing, right? Or use your imagination. You know, what are sure. what's beautiful to you in a catalog or whatever, and put that in your brain. And knowing you, you're gonna have a pretty gorgeous somebody someday. <laughs> you know, and so that's how I that's how I talked about it with him. But yeah. it was a slow thing that unrolled over time um mm. now we have kids being exposed so young that we have to start talking about that sooner and sure. then we we make the conversation more complex as right. they get older. so it evolves as we go yeah right exactly yeah yeah i mean it's, there's so much in there that's it's a, it's a minefield right i mean it is yeah. i mean just yeah. like you said something simple is like okay porn and you go well what do you mean by porn Right, because yeah. you have a whole host of different things, and there's um, ethical porn uh, in certain contexts that can be quite unethical in another context, um, right? So it can still be very much facilitating uh, male gaze perspectives. It might still have a lot of violent kind of underpinnings and stuff like that. But the the female artist is accepting that that's kind of what the male gazes want. That's what sells, and and they're you know taking responsibility for that they go hey i want to make this material and and so you're like yeah. well, that's ethical in that tick box that but way. maybe it's actually facilitating some really unhealthy so even even something simple like, oh yeah. ethical well hold on what kind of ethical it, right. it just gets so complex and then yeah. so you're looking at starting those conversations so early and and trying to evolve them it's, it, it feels like a, a daunting process i know for me like gosh i my relationship with my parents just you know you're you're laughing talking about early on you know parents going freaking out when there's like someone kissing on tv or sex on tv and and, and everyone's going oh god i don't know what to feel but i know i'm supposed to feel awkward and shame or whatever that was me growing up right if, if people kissed on tv there was a big like oh you know like i like i, I just my parents i've never seen my parents kiss never have Oh, wow. I don't remember once seeing my parents kiss. I'm sure they probably did once or twice, but like it wasn't enough that I noticed it. Um, yeah. And so it's just, you know, we just didn't do that. And so it's so hard for me to think back and go, 
what would that conversation have looked like for me at nine? The, the answer is it just wouldn't have happened. My sex talk didn't really exist. I've joked about it on this podcast before that one day I was leaving the house and as I was leaving, my dad turned around and was like, hey, Phil, you know what sex is, right? And it's, I think I was 16 at this time. So I'm pretty <laughs> like, yeah, I figured it out actually. Yeah, I kind of yeah, got a few hundred hours of porn logs, you know, and this is in like the early 2000s. This is on 56K, dad. I'm, I'm committed. Um, and uh you know, that was it though. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay. And he's like, do you know to use a condom? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, this is a, this is a Baptist pastor. It's kind of funny actually how liberal in a sense he was in a sense. Um, and then he's like, do you want to talk about this anymore? And I was like, no. And that was it. We never talked about sex again. It was 40 seconds, 30 seconds. Um, and I've joked with my dad since, and we've had lots of laughs about it. And, and, you know, my dad's grown and I've grown since, and, and we can look at that in context. And he did the best in the way he knew to interact about right. it. It's very awkward. Right. I mean, he, he never even had that talk with his dad, probably, you know? And, yes, um, yes. so I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by, uh, to me, I get excited about thinking, having kids and being so intentional step by step of the way, sure to make a lot of mistakes and they'll have a podcast in 50 years or clubhouse or whatever's cool back then. Probably not any of those things by then but they'll they'll have something where they're joking about how terrible their dad did um but I, i'd love for it to be at least the next generation leap the, these conversations oh, absolutely but it gosh it feels like a minefield doesn't it? i mean when you're thinking of kids that young being exposed yeah. to these kind of yeah. images it, yeah. it's i can't think what you know like you said it, it's, it's it's terrifying i mean like without a without a sex drive sex is weird naked people are weird we're, we're very right. weird looking and that right. stuff happening together what's going on here this is a weird thing right if we can divorce right. the kind of the arousal or any of that kind of immediate like drive dad what is this <laughs> right that's i think that's a really normal response actually yeah. um yeah gosh that's so that's so helpful so interesting and this is going to be a part of the book that you're putting together right you're, you're putting right, together exactly. a book and it's going to be coming out in may or can right. be picked may up early in april uh -huh. sort of time you're gonna be able to pre-order and the uh, book will be June 1st and it'll go on pre-sale on April for the Kindle version. Right. And then it'll also be up on Audible too. So you can download yeah. it as well. But yeah, it, it goes, it's divided zero to two, birth to two, two to four, four to six, six to eight, all the way up to 18. And every single section guides parents. So it mm. says, here's the, here's the emotional and behavioral tasks that your child intrinsically is attempting to accomplish during this phase of their life mm. here are the sexual curiosities that they're gonna have you know like birth to two between 10 months and a year old their hand they're gonna realize belongs to them yeah and then somewhere around a year their that hand is gonna land on their genitals and they're gonna be like hip hip hooray right they don't speak yet but that will be their expression <laughs> and it won't take long before they start remembering that, right? So in the tub, getting their diaper changed. So it's really soon. And so you are labeling the world with them, nose, eyes, ears, toes, your navel. Well, you start labeling that part of their body too. This is your vulva, this is your, your um, penis. And they get a little older and they're like, wow, like they get really enamored with it and they're in underwear now. And you're like, right. this is so much better than touching my elbow, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, here's why it feels so good, you know, and you explain it, you know, God put a ton of nerve endings right there. And it's such a wonderful gift, but we all do it in private. So, you know, 
mommy, daddy, daddy, mommy, mommy, whatever. We do it in private and you're going to do it in private, your room or the bathroom, because it's just what we do. We do it in private. You know, it's a special part of our body. So you're teaching that as you're teaching body autonomy, you know, this body is yours. Other people's bodies are theirs. You have to ask before you touch. Someone can't touch you without your permission. Mm. If you don't want it, you have always have the right to say no, even to grownups. You just need to come talk to me. If somebody's not listening to you or, or touches you in any way that you don't like, and they're not listening, you know? Um, so this is all getting taught at the same time. So I have these different hints of what is age appropriate to talk about and how you talk about it right. inside each of these different sections. But it also gets at what you're talking about with your dad. And that is that everything kids do that around their sexual curiosity, because we have the epigenetics of having never done comprehensive sex ed. Right. Mm -hmm. And the religion on top of it, go back far enough in your, in your history, you're going to find somebody who was a fanatic, you know, rigid right. religious person, probably. So this silence and silence and shame is in 95% of families, right? Mm -hmm. So what we know is that as children begin doing these things that are very natural, it's going to hit what I call your shame triggers. The part of you that are like, ah, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, is my kid going to be okay? Uh, and you just don't know what to do. And so I guide you through some things to do to notice those shame triggers, heal those shame triggers so that you can provide for your child what they need. And then I give all like the top resources right now, books and websites that you can go to to practice and you're reading things out loud and you get to a place that you get more and more comfortable doing just that part for that stage, you know, and then you can prepare for the next stage and get the books ahead of time and read, blah, 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 you know, and it slowly wa uh, walks you through the deeper and deeper complexity of a child's development and their thinking as they get into their, you know, 12 to 15, 15 to 18, and their thinking is much more complex, um, you know, but they're caught between being an adolescent, being a kid and being an adult or whatever, you know. Yeah. And so I'm trying to guide the parents to help them feel the stuff in their bodies and then go, oh, yeah, that 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 thing there, that's going to be hard on me. Like, OK, no problem. Let's explore why it's hard for you. What well, happened in your childhood that makes this a shame trigger? And what would you have wanted to have happen? Can you write a letter to yourself, to your younger self yeah. about what you would have wanted to have happen or whatever? So we do different things along the way. And then it helps them to be able to then provide what the child needs. I will say to you, Phil, that the Northern European countries like Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Holland, um, they've had comprehensive sex education for 60 years or more. It starts in kindergarten. It runs through what we would think of as like the 12th grade or whatever, sure. 18. And they get this and they have the lowest statistics on everything. Lowest STI rates, lowest teen pregnancy rates. Kids get involved with sex later. They build egalitarian relationships from the start. Mm -hmm. Um, and they describe themselves as closer to their parents overall. In fact, there's a great book called, um, oh golly, what's it called? It's written by Amy Shallot. It's called Not Under My Roof. And um, Amy grew up in Holland, 
came here to do her research and work and then said, what is up with these American families and kids and sex? And she did a fabulous qualitative research where she interviewed families in one place in Holland, interviewed families in a couple places in the States, and then compared how kids interacted with their parents, interacted Mm. with each other, thought about where they had their first sexual experiences, difference between home or in a car, Mm. you know, just all kinds. It's a fabulous book because you'll get an inside view of what it looks like to grow up with comprehensive sex education and how healthy kids are and their relationships with their parents are, that their parents are an actual resource all the way until they launch which is what most parents want is I want my kid to keep talking to me, right? Well, this is how you do it. This Mm. is the number one way to do it is be your kid's best sex educator. Because if you do that, we have studies that will show that they will likely want to be closer to you as they grow up because they feel like you can handle things, right? Yeah, it's really good. So I don't even think, I mean, I do think that we're going to keep learning for sure. Um, But what I also know is, that when you start doing this and you change the legacy in that, in the generation where you're raising kids, it will be a hundred percent different for them because this will now be their default because it's what they got. And it just changes everything. It starts to look like a Northern European country. Kids just aren't exploited because they can recognize exploitation. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, that person, you know, at nine years old, when somebody get a girl gets whistled at for the first time, She's like, ass, you know, (laughs) like, you know, she knows that I am not an object. I am, I am, I'm cool. I'm wonderful, you know, because she can recognize exploitation. She's been taught what is true and what is not true. That sounds so good. Um, I remember you bringing that up the last time that I think uh, you'd framed it, um, it's slightly different. I can't remember exactly the wording, but uh, as I quoted it then afterwards, which I'm prone to do is go grab a statistic that someone else quotes to me, not know the exact source and then quote it slightly wrong. Um, but I, I remember saying like, gosh, this is phenomenal. I think the way that I'd remembered it was that people who want to have a healthy relationship with their child as their child becomes an adult, are the, the people most likely to have that are the ones that talk about sex as they grow up the most. Um, and, and I was just like, gosh, that's incredible. Like, yeah. And also how terrible is that if you look at that as a, a statistic within Christian communities, because we don't, yeah. uh, maybe we talk about sex actually a fair amount, but it's basically don't have it. I don't want to talk about it. Let's not get into too much detail. Just don't. You know, that's about it, right? That's the full breadth of the conversation. And that's the conversation basically at all ages, if it comes up, Um, there's not much nuance to this the whole way. I'm intrigued by, I mean, listening to how your book works. I mean, you touched on it, just talking about how this can be so healing for the parents, looking at, looking through the stages and going, that's a trigger for me. Let me look at what should be taught to a child in that stage? And then what happened to me at that stage? It, it, it sounds very much like a, 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 a healthy integrating of things mm-hmm. that we, we we didn't have. Um, right. I was talking to someone, in fact, I think it was, um, my sister-in-law has a great um, Instagram account. I think it's Exvangelical Lessons. I hope I got that right. Um, oh, cool. But she, she posted the other day and she was talking about how, because she talks to different people about this stuff as well. And she was talking about how, some people have to have so much patience for their partner as their partner comes to terms with we're growing in different 
paces with our sexual exploration and desires to explore sexuality. So she was talking, she gave an example of maybe um, the these two people are growing, maybe they're even both deconstructing, but the female wants to try sexual toys. And the male has some image of, well, that's not appropriate. You know, you're, you're demasculating me or whatever. And the male might even go, I know this isn't correct. I know my response is not correct, but I can't help but have this response and it's causing all kinds of things. And so there's a whole host of things in there, but how do you, um, is that the sort of thing that you go, oh, this is, I didn't get to talk about this as a kid. I didn't get to, is that the sort of thing that, that something like your book would be helpful looking through and going, oh, here it is. My parents didn't talk to me about that. It's not somehow, you know, demasculizing you, whatever that means and why ever being masculine is a goal for men anyway. Uh, right. I mean, what even is that? Um, but is that like, you, you didn't get taught that like, you know, penetrating a woman is the ultimate goal of masculinity and being a man and being the ultimate you or, you, you know, are, are there lessons that we can learn looking back through our childhoods that kind of help us integrate those things, help us go through it? Cause I'm thinking that's a, you know, Jesse, my sister-in-law was talking about it and going, you gotta be patient with your partner. You gotta let them figure that out. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, if you take years to figure this out, I'm not gonna be too happy, right? <laughs> Cause I wanna, I wanna be pleased. I wanna like deal yeah. with some of these sex drive things that we're talking oh, yeah. about before, you yeah. know, I wanna be able to deal with that. Uh, how do you go about this reparenting process, this kind of reintegrating kind of um, a, a sexual healing? Um, is that something you can look at as kind of like the stages of a child and, and kind of go, oh, I kind of stopped around this stage and no one ever kind of filled in the gaps? Right. Absolutely. In fact, I think that my book is going to end up having value for people that aren't yet parents because it, they're going to be able to go, oh, this was normal. No one did this for me. This mm. was normal. Oh, no one did this for me. And they can start doing the work before they're even parents. Or if they have nieces and nephews in their lives, they'll be like, oh, this is really helpful. So it is that reintegration, awareness, learning that needs to happen, you know, that doesn't often get happen, that doesn't often happen. Your example of like a, a guy feeling like if my wife has a, my, you know, my female partner has a vibrator, then that is saying something about me not being a good lover, right? You need to have the conversation that says, here's what makes you the lover I want to be with. Mm. It doesn't have anything to do with your parts. It has right. to do with you and what we share. And then you have to do a lot of educating about female anatomy. You know, women, oh gosh, less than 30%, far less than 30% mm. of women have an orgasm during intercourse. And it has to do with how far the clitoris is from the vaginal opening. Just, it doesn't happen very often. And so you have to figure out other ways to play around and do things. I think that's an invitation for us to have more fun together, sure, yeah. that our arousal cycles are different and how we have orgasms are different. And the fact that it changes over time. If you just adjust to that being true, then start building up your banquet, yeah. right? Just start building it up. So anyway, that's part of what needs to have happen. Um, so uh, um, yeah, I, I think one of the things I encourage women to do is I encourage them to 
be bold and speak out to their partners about what it is that they want. Um, so I think that um, it can be hard to confront that person and to say, um, well, I want to experience pleasure and um, I want to, and, and I want to um, be able to explore my body and explore how it works and learn about it more. You know, I want to do all of that. And, yeah. and you, it might be a rocky conversation for a bit of time, but I'm always like, don't put up with having the kind of sex you don't want to have at all. Right. For the sake right. of not having one conversation. <laughs> right. Right. Because you're going to build up resentment because you're hardwired for connection and pleasure. So mm. you might be the educator to your partner that said, where did this idea come from that you had to be the all of my sexual experience and that right. we can't bring in other things to have fun, you know, or explore or whatever. Isn't it really about how do we experience this together? Are we yeah. both coming out of it with connection and pleasure having had happened? Um, I'm happy to show you how I use it. You can learn to use it on me, you know, whatever. And um, this is just the relearning of what yeah. is really true. You know? Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and that's, it's scary. Like, you know, I mean, being vulnerable, opening up, you know, maybe even confronting because because I can imagine some partners might not be they might not have the best initial response to going hey I'm not enjoying sex and that might be a very hard thing to hear or maybe not I'm not enjoying it but like hey I, I could enjoy this more uh, and here's I some enjoy things. more and, and, and but even just saying hey that is, 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 is it opens you up to vulnerability right it opens you up to, to yeah. it's 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 a very um hard thing to do but it's a lot easier than living miserable for 20 50 you know, 18 years or whoever knows. Um, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's worth it for sure. Uh, Tina, it. I want to make sure we, we wrap up because I know your time um, is, is coming to an end and I, I want to make sure we let people know how to connect with you um, okay. and what best ways to connect with you. And so if people want to keep tracking what you're doing, I mean, you are, you're very prolific. You're all over the place. So they definitely should pick up a copy of your, your last book, um, yeah. Sex God in the Conservative Church. It's a fantastic uh, resource. Um, and your upcoming book, what, what's that going to be called? Just so people can have it on the radar. Shameless Parenting. I love Everything it. Everything you need to know to raise shame-free, confident kids and heal your shame too. I love it. That's, that's quite a tagline there. You're, gonna, yeah. you're just going to keep going on the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, a sh it's a short to the point book that is handy. It's just going to be it. like, here they are. Here's the resources to get. Here's what's going to go on for you likely you know that kind of thing so i i think it's going to meet the needs for a lot of yeah. people and, so and this is what you need when you're parenting a nice simple like to the point yeah. just give me the details on how to do this for sure that's awesome exactly, because i don't have any time <laughs> no yeah exactly are you kidding me i'm raising a toddler that's when right. did you think i had time to read a book on raising a toddler <laughs> exactly that's exactly right yeah. yeah. So otherwise yeah. getting a hold of me, you can go to Tina That's my website. And I have some free material there for people, whether it's around parenting or being a couple or whatever. Um, there's different things in there that are free that you awesome. can get for yourself or go watch courses that are free yeah. that you can watch. Some of them aren't, but then there's a, yeah. several that are, that are more for the general public. Um, 
you can go to NWIOI, which is the Northwest Institute on Intimacy. So NWIOI.com. And you'll see all about our institute. Again, we have a huge resource list of just yeah. everything you can imagine on that for parents, for for like the shameless, even, even we already have on there, the shameless books, all the books and resources that are in the book right. are already have their own section on the website. So there's a bunch of stuff there for people to get. And then you can find me on clubhouse now too. Yes. Clubhouse is it's happening. Everyone's, yeah. uh, everyone's getting onto it. And uh, I think this is going to come out in about three weeks, two weeks. So by then even more people will have their invites out and Everyone's waiting for that Android drop, right? The whole world right. is going to explode when an Android uh, version of Clubhouse comes out. <laughs> but um, yeah, and, and and me and you are going to do something on Clubhouse at some point as well in the future. Maybe we can do a QA and a and I'll moderate and you can field yes. some questions and things. That would be really fun. That would be um, so and fun. So I would love Make that. sure you're following Tina. So what is your handle on Clubhouse? What's the best way to find you? Um, if they search your name, does that come up? I think I'm, you can I'm not just, search my name. just search my name, <laughs> Tina Shermer Sellers, okay. and you'll find me. Yeah. Wonderful. I am following Tina as well. So if you can't find her, yeah. look through my following oh. and you'll find her. Yeah. And, and are you on Instagram, Instagram as well? I am on yeah. Instagram. So um, mine, the one that's just sort of about me and speaking and writing, that is at Dr. Tina Shameless. Yes. You can find me there. There's a lot of stuff there. A lot of highlights that you can mess around in and some things in there for folks. And then the Institute one is NW Institute on Intimacy. Perfect. And that's where we post all kinds of things about just sexuality in general, things that people need to know, um, ways in which people are discriminated against, upcoming courses that we have. So all of that is there on that one wonderful resources really really amazing helpful resources and also if people are um therapists if they are working in that field um nwioai is that right nwioai NWI. um, you guys are doing things to help train and facilitate people that want to get more um uh, certified in these areas and and, right. and um experienced in these areas of dealing with sex therapy and exactly and, and right we do well. and so we now are all out. online at this point yes. and we're likely to stay um, at least partially online where sure. all of our courses have a portion of it that's online, even when we start to be able to move in together. Um, and so the, the classes in this last year, we had people from four continents, wow. you know, that, I mean, we had people from- That all must over. be so exciting to you to, I mean, cause that's a big barrier for a lot of people. I know for me, I'm like, yes. you know, if, if I wanted to learn something and they were like, well, yeah, but you're going to have to fly to Seattle to do it. I'm like, yeah, nice. probably not exactly. really. If I'm on it, maybe if I already have a trip to Seattle and I can yeah. fit it in in a couple of days, but like, you know what I mean? It's, it's a hard pill to swallow, yeah. but if I'm like, oh, I need to do some Zoom, some like coursework online, you know, right. some whatever else, different things. But if I can do it from home mostly. Yeah, exactly. So, so like we do the little That's breakout exciting. rooms and stuff. Like the class we have every June is called the SAR, Sexual Attitude Reassessment. And that one is about really helping you see all of your biases. We have mm. trans folks come in and do interviews. We have sex workers come in and do interviews. We have, you know, G LGBTQ um, people, we have dis disabled folks, you know, like, so we just have people come in and tell their story. So you can just notice inside yeah. yourself, what am I comfortable about? And what am I not comfortable with? Mm -hmm. And then you can freely talk in a small group with people. And that class is life changing. 
It is life-changing. And if you're a physician or you're clergy or you're a therapist or an educator, it will, it will make you so much better at what you do because your awareness will just catapult. Yeah. And having those biases, I mean, are a huge negative effect on your work. If, if you're not right. aware of them and I mean, to be aware of them is, is the beginning of changing anyway, but just, you know, to be able to work on that and not have that as a subconscious theme running right through your, your work with people. Gosh, I'm aware of that as, as I see it, yes. you know, we talk about even sex in here and stuff, but like yeah. my racial biases, my sexual biases, my biases towards maybe, um, as I started to first deconstruct, I'm like, Oh, there's a trans person on TV and I feel uncomfortable, but I'm perfectly intellectually okay with someone being trans. Whoa, there's some stuff in me that still needs to come out and, and be looked at and explored that is been ingrained for 30 years of christian culture um and so just noticing these biases and not judging right but just observing right. and going oh that's just there observing. i can yeah. i can bring it up and that's beautiful tina honestly yeah. thank you Everyone so much for what you're doing biases, honestly you know yeah yeah well we have them right it's, it, you can fight it all day but at the end of the day yeah. you know we've got them somewhere whatever it might be uh, no, thank you so much for what you're doing. Honestly, you are making this world so much of a better place to live for so many people, uh, myself included, for sure. I, I mean, I, Instagram is where I live, so I, I follow your Instagram accounts and I, I just love what you're posting. I love what you're doing. I love seeing people grab you for interviews. I love seeing you pop up in my clubhouse, even though it's three in the morning for me on my time and I don't get to join. But I love seeing the notification and going, oh, Tina's doing stuff and helping people with parenting through sex and purity culture or, you know, whatever it is. I'm like, yes, this is this is what it's about. It's it's about people changing the world. Um, and you are certainly doing that um, in, oh, in beautiful ways. So thank thanks. you so much. I appreciate you making so much time for me as well. Yes, uh, absolutely. It was a real joy. It's, all, it's always fun. It's always fun yeah. to be with you. Absolutely. Well, I'll let you know when this comes out and, and we'll get in touch about doing a, a clubhouse as well we'll try and figure out a good time good okay sure. perfect well All take right. care yeah have See a good day yeah love you bye bye okay so that was tina Shermer sellers and i would so encourage you do check out her her new book keep an eye out for it get it on pre-order it's shameless parenting um and i'm so excited to to check it out myself i'm not even a parent and i'm excited about it so if you're a parent you need to get on it because honestly it, it just sounds fantastic uh if 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 that talk with uh, Tina didn't do it for you, maybe not. But uh, I, I'm assuming since you got, made it this far, you are equally uh, stoked about this uh, opportunity to, to learn about different stages of development and how we can um, help our children grow up healthily um, and not carry so much of the shame and the guilt and the baggage and the sexual repressions and the sexual addictions and everything else that um, so many of us bring to the table because of purity culture and are, are busy healing from. Um, and even exciting to, to look through that as someone, um, even without parenting, uh, without kids, sorry, um, that you know, can can experience a lot of that healing. We can go back and work through those shadows in our own selves um, and recognize maybe where we weren't perhaps raised in the best of ways. Um, you know, our, our parents mean the best and they did the best they could. And uh, and that's life, right? We, we constantly are growing and learning and, and, and evolving. And, and this is a beautiful opportunity to look back and, and maybe bring some healing and some, uh, you know, 2021 uh, knowledge and wisdom to our, our prior selves that just didn't have access to that. All right. 
I'd encourage you also to check out Tina's website, tinashermersellers.com and her Instagram, Dr. Tina Shameless. I'll put the links to those in the show notes. I'll put the links to um, some of her other bits and pieces as well in the notes. So do check those out, work through those. Shoot her a message, add her on Instagram, send her a message, let her know that you enjoyed this, that you appreciated it. It's always, tell me, let, trust me, like as someone that goes on other people's podcasts, there is very few things as enjoyable as opening up your DMs and seeing um, a couple of messages from people that listened to that podcast and said they really enjoyed it and maybe even saying what they enjoyed. Um, it just, it, it makes you realize that spending a couple hours talking to someone about whatever it is um, was worth it. And and so I'd encourage you if you enjoyed uh, today's episode, if you enjoyed any episode, um, shoot, shoot the person that um, came on a message and let them know because it really does mean a lot uh, to those people. Uh, you know, and I don't know a lot of people never check their messages or whatever, but um, I know that Tina does check her messages and looks through them. So certainly send her a message and let her know that you enjoyed it. Um, as I said at the beginning, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. If you're going through deconstruction and you want to connect with other people locally, that's a great resource. And if you want to support what I'm doing, if you want to connect on our more intimate uh, private community um, over on Discord and be part of our, our voice chats, our Zoom chats that we do regularly, um, you can do that by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, and I really obviously appreciate that. Uh, All right, that's enough from me. Next week, we're going to look on Monday at what is reconstruction as part of our Understanding Deconstruction series. We're going to look at why reconstruction is a very problematic concept. And whilst many people, in fact, I would argue almost everyone that uses that term has the best of intentions, um, what they don't realize is it can be a very harmful and destructive uh, concept, which is kind of ironic, right? Because they think that deconstruction is de- destructive and uh, reconstruction is constructive. Um, and yet it can be a very destructive concept and a very harmful um, concept to, to throw around. And so we're going to look at that. It's going to be uh, fun. If you haven't been working through our Understanding Deconstruction series, um, they're all available on YouTube and on Instagram TV and over at the deconstructionnetwork.com. But I'm piecemealing them out week by week on Mondays here on the podcast as well, if that's more your thing. Um, and so you can go back and check the last couple. They were what are, What is deconstruction and why do people deconstruct? Um, but I'll hopefully see you in the next episode for uh, what is reconstruction And then we have uh, another exciting episode Uh, next week on Thursday. We have um, Conrad from Ideas Digest, which I'm really excited to dive into. Um, It was an amazing conversation. Conrad is such a fascinating guy. um, And I think you're really going to enjoy that conversation as well. So I will see you then. Love you all. Have a good one. Peace.